and welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, your local athletic beat writer. He's five foot nine, which makes his parents' decision to not name him Royce Duh a glaring oversight. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? If only Stephen Michelle would have had the foresight there. I don't, I, don't, I don't think they could have anticipated how awesome that would have been. It would have been perfect. It would have been perfect. Uh, unfortunately, um, I always say my parents had a lack of foresight. My birthday's in April, which meant I was like one of the youngest in my grade. Last to turn 21, last mm. to yeah, drive, turn 18. It was awful. Lack of foresight. Parents, get, get your stuff together. Um Speaking of getting your stuff together, guess who doesn't? Baseball. Hey. Um, as I'm sure everybody heard this week, uh, we're still in a lockout. There is not a collective bargaining agreement to be had. Uh, as of now, I believe there's not even one on the table. There was some hope earlier this week, Cody, that we would get one, and... As I reflect on this now, a couple days later, I can't help but think, you know, I kind of think this was like a false flag operation by the owners. Because if you look at, first of all, the deadline itself is artificial, as can be. Uh, Second of all, extending the deadline the next day, equally artificial. And then trying to kind of pull a fast one on those, like, uh, when they're trying to hammer out the details with, uh, especially with the CBT and, um, you know, what goes into the formula, including, like, stipends for just road trips and all-star games and, you know, all that stuff. It kind of seemed like the owners were trying to strong-arm the players, and to me. And then it also seemed like the players got wise to that really quickly and... I am now as firm as I have ever been about how serious the players are right now. They were not going to get intimidated. They were not going to be pressured by this artificial deadline. I believe in some aspects they were insulted um, by some of these ploys by the owners, by 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 the commissioner. And I'm going to, for the record, I'm going to start saying the owners more than Manfred because, you know, they're his bosses. Um, he goes where they where they uh, tell him to go. And the optics were terrible. The golf swing, the New York Daily News photo, I believe, is what they put on the uh, on the back page for, from Manfred. The walking back and forth, like, it was it was terrible. And then his press conference was equally bad, but I'm not going to harp on him on that because, you know, part of the job, you get paid that much money, is to just take slings and arrows for the, for the owners. It's kind of like being the press secretary for the president. Like, your job is to essentially just be the wall um so i'm not gonna harp on that too much but it was a bad look but i just can't help but but feeling cody that it i don't think we were ever really that close i it from the outside i just never you know the information has trickled out some of the other uh offers that have kind of leaked into the media don't really seem that serious now they're trying to bring up a lot of other stuff that before i would have i thought was kind of implied that we were over best offer quote-unquote was not even close to being the best offer so my how do i phrase this my mood is down in terms of how i feel about this uh resolving itself to where you know by my fiance's birthday april 20th um i don't think i'm gonna be having any baseball to watch that day that's my mood you were in florida this past week uh Close to ground zero, you weren't in Jupiter, but you know you're around, you know baseball personnel and stuff. What was your read on the situation early this week? Yeah, kind of like we talked about last week. Like I'm not sure it's even worth discussing the particulars because I don't think anyone wants to hear it. I think everyone's exhausted by it. I think this was a sad and depressing week for baseball. Turns out even my somewhat optimism that uh, the season would start on time, despite a lot of back and forth and a lot of bad publicity was, um, was overly optimistic. Um, I can just tell you that, what was it, Tuesday, whenever, you know, the reports that, oh, maybe a deal was close. I think a lot of people bought into the optimism. I think major league personnel 
who probably had reason to know better, still bought into the optimism. Um, and I think that only made it more crushing when there was no agreement. I think you're right. I'm not sure they were ever actually close to an agreement. It does seem like it was a pretty genius PR play by the owners. Uh, I think someone said this before, but like they would apply, you know, that good of PR to just like, I don't know, marketing their sport, marketing the players, <laughs> maybe baseball would be in a much better setting because we're going to go on to talk about bad PR in this podcast, um, regarding a couple other subjects, but uh, you know, it was, it was genius. It was genius, uh, from the owners, except it also kind of backfired. I think this is not 1994. I think the general fan is smarter. I think players being able to use social media and journalists being very clear about what's up and why this deal tanked, I think 80 to 90% of it is on the owners. Maybe the players aren't totally blameless, but, uh, you know, they're taking a stand. They're taking a pro-labor stand, and uh, the owners have not really been willing to play serious ball both literally and figuratively, um, it does not seem like to be there in Lakeland. I mean, I'll just tell you, I was, I was just like, it was depressing. I was distraught. You know, I'm in the hotel, like, and I didn't know. I was like, didn't know if I was leaving Friday or was going to stay for the next month. And I'm starting to think, okay, like maybe I'm going to stay. Maybe like Javi Baez is going to be rolling in here in three or four days. It's going to be a big story. This is going to be fun. You know, and then it, it kind of becomes clear there's no deal. And I was like, should I go out to the bar or should I just sit here and sulk? I went for the second option. <laughs> I ordered chilies to go. All right. It's not good. But when you're in Lakeland, like, eh, you don't have many options in the first place. I got a steak, Texas cheese fries, and like a chocolate cake thing with ice cream on top. I don't even like, like chocolate cake or ice cream that much. I don't normally emotionally eat, but uh, but I did. I heard some of the Tigers coaches polished off a bottle of bourbon, and I don't blame them. I wish they would have invited me. Um, I think the mood was down. I think the next morning the mood was... Well, Cody's good drinking company. <laughs> I, I think the mood was down. I think the next morning in Lakeland, it must have been weird to be these minor leaguers. Knowing it doesn't actually affect them that much, but most of the coaches were... Uh, we're down, even for the minor leaguers. It's like, here's these guys grinding, trying to achieve their dreams, and the top level of their sport just continues to um, ruin itself. The owners, kind of the lords of the realm, uh, continue to make the product less marketable and and um, just harm what's a beautiful game. You're in Lakeland. It's sunny. It's beautiful. You're feeling some baseball vibes. You got some, you know, cheesy baseball music playing over the speakers. And then, oh, okay, like, no, this sport just is shooting itself in the foot. I don't know when opening day is going to be. Um, still don't really know how I'm going to get to your wedding, Kieran. I'm, I'm starting to think I'm going to be totally off work and not worried about anything that set of days, though, which, which is encouraging. Uh, but I don't know. Like, when's the season going to start? I don't know. It's, it's hard to be optimistic about it anymore. I think it's going to be a while. Um, I hope I'm wrong again. Well, here's the thing, like, so when I talk about, like, information that kind of trickles out, one of the things I'm referring to is that a lot of these teams don't lose any TV money with their regional networks until, like, 25, 28 games or, you know, whatever it is are not played, missed, you know, whatever term you want to use. Um, so I'm like, okay, so financially speaking, and it's weird to say because in you know, kind of wish it wasn't this way, but you probably most people are kind of talking like you don't really make that much money as a like you know as a baseball team in the month of April, because um, you're still kind of competing with some other stuff, basketball playoffs, NFL is a obviously a twelve month a year uh, news gathering uh, entity, hockey playoffs. Like it, you don't really own. The weather April. sucks for the, certain markets. Such weather as sucks a lot in in a lot of uh, baseball markets as well. So you're not really losing a whole lot of money there. And as soon as I saw that, that's when I that's when the light bulb came for me. I was like, yeah, they weren't really they weren't really looking to like they got to get a deal done because they're not losing anything yet. And so they, in their minds, and I guess they're technically correct with this, like still have the leverage and. 
you know, sometimes we we wish we could get more from the owners. I've heard some like uh, some podcasts. Actually, I believe the uh, Ringer uh, baseball show, good podcast. Uh, not not the Ringer, athletic athletic baseball show. The Ringer hasn't had a baseball podcast. I looked this up this morning since December tenth, I think. It's not and great. It's not really what you want. It's not good for the sport. You know, they it's just a company that was bought by Spotify for like, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, you'd like them to cover your sport, you know. No big deal. Um, but the athletic uh, MLB show, and if I get that title wrong, I do apologize. The athletic baseball show. They yeah. cannot use MLB in the title. It would be a, uh, a copyright like problem. Oh, okay. That's so why yeah. our, our podcast is a what is it, a podcast about the Detroit Tigers or something? Mm-hmm. We were not allowed to call it a Detroit Tigers podcast. Oh, there you go. Little yeah. inside, little inside baseball there for everybody. So um, you know, great that baseball is out here to like <laughs> maybe sue like p- people for their podcast titles, but isn't that serious about like playing a one hundred and sixty-two yeah. game season? Yeah, exactly. Um, but when there's that many guys that are trying to be like. In a uniform, unified voice, we know that there's dissension, and unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on your perspective, we got a little indication uh, late this week of some uh, dissenting voices among the owners. One of them, Tigers owner Chris Illich, he was a dissenting voice for not the reasons that would be good. He did not. He was one of four that was against raising the. I'm just going to call it luxury tax, but the collective, or excuse me, competitive balance tax. Um, Angels owner, and I'm going to forget their names. Angels owner, Reds owner, who was the, who was the fourth? The Diamondbacks uh, owner. Di- Diamondbacks owner. Uh, they were against it, which, uh, you know, if you're uh, Chris Illich, uh, that is not good PR, considering what the Tigers' payrolls have been uh, the past several years since he's taken up uh, principalship of the team and he just got dragged like a mofo uh, on twitter on tiger's twitter very very uh justifiable i don't gonna say justifiably so but very easily predictable that that he would get dragged for that um and then he gave out a statement that said nothing it it said nothing it, it basically said nothing it's like these are negotiations. We will not comment on negotiations. And I look forward to the lockout ending. It was essentially what what, what, what the statement was, which was pointless. Um, I, I texted Cody. I was like, you know, if, if, if this journalism thing doesn't work out for you, which, you know, obviously it is, maybe we could just be a consulting firm and just, like, tell teams, organizations, individuals, this is dumb. Do not do this. We'll call it common sense LLC. This is dumb. We will don't do this. Uh, this will accomplish nothing. But we don't have that business, and uh, the Tigers did not consult anybody about that. I just thought it was a bad look all around for the Tigers. You get them dragged like they were the. Think about it. The season ends, and they're like the talk of the league for their free agent spending, spending, spending in free agency, and then we fast forward a couple months and. Tigers owner is one of the owners that doesn't want to raise the soft salary cap is essentially what it is. So <laughs> what was your reaction when you when you saw your colleagues at the athletic break that story? Which kudos to them, by the way. Greg is Yeah, I wow. I don't know where to start on this one. You know, I woke up at like whatever, seven thirty, kinda checked Twitter. Usually what I do to see what the latest thing, you know, melting in the world is and <laughs> Now, Tigers owner one of four to uh, vote against raising the CBT threshold. And I was just like, oh, I really kind of laughed myself. And then it was like, okay, how much do I want to chime in here? And it was probably a good thing I hadn't had my coffee yet because I just went with like a grimacing face emoji. (laughs) (laughs) And kind of went on. I went to Lakeland and just kind of focused on the, uh, the inner squad scrimmage. And I was like, I don't know, like this is... I think it speaks for itself, and my company had the report, and by the end of the day, Twitter is all sorts of fired up. Uh, Jeff Seidel from the Free Press writes a scathing column that claims Chris Illich does not care about baseball, and 
Jeff's a very nice guy. Jeff normally does not go that hard, all right? Here's an example. I was talking to Jeff, like, Wednesday. I called him, and I was like, hey, come out to dinner, you know? Let's hang out. And he was like, oh, no, I can't. I'm working. And I like to tease Jeff sometimes. Like, this better be a good story. This better not be another story about how some guy loves his mom. You know? <laughs> well, Jeff didn't write nothing about anyone loving their mom. He went for the head of Chris Illich. Uh, and, of course, Twitter, that was already banging on Chris, ate it up. Uh, I, you know, maybe it was a little strong. I would like to hear Chris justify his vote. You know, if, if, if you're going to come out with a statement, that statement should probably say something. I think if you're trying to give Chris the benefit of the doubt, which, yeah, I don't know, uh, the only way to do it would be to say, oh, you know, he's he, he just cares about winning. He wants the Tigers to win so much that, this won't let the Dodgers and Yankees like spend as much money or something. That's kind of like the only positive spin I can see here. And even that, it's still a penny-pinching measure. Voting against raising the C the CBT threshold is at its core an anti-labor vote. And okay, per, if you're trying to prevent, say, the Dodgers or the Yankees from spending ten million more, really what you're doing is preventing yourself from spending ten million more. I think Chris deserves kudos and credit for spending in free agency this offseason. Kind of lived up to his words there, but a lot of times I think the actions from above do not meet the messaging. That's one thing I put on Twitter two years ago. Chris did this kind of odd, strange tour through Lakeland where he was, I felt like, overly trying to humanize himself. Um, you know, we talked about, oh, how he's just a fan too, how much he loves the game, how much he loved it as a child. And then you're one of four owners formally rejecting raising the CBT by only $10 million. Um, I know it wasn't a deciding vote. I don't think that matters. I don't think that makes Chris look any better. I would argue it almost makes him look worse. And it kind of reminded me of like, like, uh, like my ex-girlfriend, you know, when we were breaking up. And she's like, oh, well, you know, I, I still love you. It's like, okay, so you don't you, you don't want to live with me. You don't, like, want to put in time to see me. You don't really want to do, like, all these things that you would do in a relationship. You're sitting here telling me you're not comfortable in a serious relationship. Uh, and then you say, oh, but I still love you. It's like, dude, like, okay, the actions don't match the words here. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, I feel like that was the case. And then the statement, oh my, the statement was only released initially to, uh, to Chris McCoskey of the Detroit news. It was not released to the free press. who made it very clear. They had uh, requested a statement. Um, it wasn't given to me. It looks like they ended up giving it to one of the TV stations at like 11 PM. And I, I like, I think if you're going to release a statement, it needs to be widely distributed um, it seemed like, oh, maybe we give it to this one reporter and it like, fly, I, like, I don't know what the point of that was. I would guess this came from above the Tigers, probably from like Illich Holdings. Um, and okay. Also the statement said nothing. The statement was no comment. I hope we can get back to baseball. I think you attracted further attention to it by releasing a statement that was pointless. And I'll go ahead and say bad. Uh, I think you risk turning it into a two-day story, which is supposed to be one of the, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not a trained PR professional, but I've always heard, you know, a rule of thumb, don't turn a one-day story into a two-day story. I think when you put out this statement that's awful, it risks raising more attention, and here we are talking about it. Um, I, I just think it was all around a bad look. Maybe there's a little more to the story. I'd love to hear Chris come out and explain his side. That didn't happen. That's one of the problems. The owners don't have to answer to anyone. None of these owners have talked publicly about what's going on. Uh, the perception of the owners as being these guys who sit up in an ivory tower and cut checks, you know, maybe that's not entirely fair, but when you do stuff like this, it certainly fuels that fire. You know, as you know, Cody, and uh, I'm sure avid listeners, uh, would not in agreement to this you know kind of contrarian by nature um i've yet to vote for somebody who won a presidential election so um i i, I see the flow and i kind of try to see like is there something underneath there that i could zag a little bit 
And I tried. I tried a decent amount with this to to zag like the fire that was Tiger's Twitter and MLB Twitter too. It, you know, it puts the Tigers in a bad light. But obviously, the the people in the know in the know. And I couldn't find anything. I was like, I really wanted to kind of come on here and be like, look, this is the reason. The best I could come up with was maybe he didn't want to increase it because he was willing to give on like four other things or something. Yeah, and maybe maybe that was part of it. We don't know. We don't know. And the thing is, and as, as you said, is that like now we're just left here to speculate. You're already have bad public relations in general. Uh, we don't have to get into downtown stuff. Everybody knows what we're talking about. Um, I Let's just not forget when they uh, uh, used Little Caesars Arena to detain uh, protesters during the Black Lives Matter protest. Let's not forget about that one. It's a favorite of mine. Yeah, that's we're not. We're not really in good public relations with Mr. Illich. Like it's just it's just facts. You know, when you have HBO Real Sports come down on you, <laughs> like, uh, it's it, 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 it's uh, it's not it's not the best look. And when you want to be sort of this guy who only makes like forced appearances, like I don't know, it it it's hard for me to galvanize around that. Just like it's hard for me to, like, if I were a Yankee fan, I think it'd be hard for me to galvanize around Hal Steinbrenner. Like, uh, and we've talked about this before. Is there a thing with the with the inherited ownership? I don't know. I'm just telling you it's a lot different to buy a team than it is to inherit a team. In anything. Anything. Sure. You know? You sure. like Do you like your Mustang better because you bought it, or do you think you'd like it better if uh, you inherited it from your dad? Like, there's let me tell you this. No lie, like, I take better care of the Mustang than I did, like, my first car. Part of that's probably age and maturity, and part of it's because I paid for the whole thing myself. Yeah. I mean... It's the car I wanted. You know, something you, you, you covet, you you want, and when you get it, you treat it like your baby, you know? And even the best of us don't always do that uh, in other circumstances. Yeah, so it was hard for me to kind of find a lean there, but that that like I said, that was the best I could come up with. the The statement was like too late to be like a Friday news dump. It kind of was gonna bleed into the weekend, <laughs> so that wasn't even uh, that that didn't really compute with me. And you were on your way to just kind of like shedding the skin that you had had for a bit as this cheap owner for lack of a better term and yeah you finally spent some money you're on upswing and now no 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 one cares now we're gonna say well yeah you only got bias because you don't want to you know you don't want to go you know more expensive for korea now now that's what we have to assume as a collective yeah and and i I, i'm not gonna jump on that take because i i said i don't think i'd give anyone 10 years um but but it leaves it open for it to be the optic we're we're talking about the optics we're talking about the messaging and that's what i think uh chris illich has struggled with probably more than anything and and uh obviously not doing himself any favors here yeah and it would be it would be it would be a really good thing if if there was something out there and heck he doesn't even have to give a statement that's the beauty of it you can leak it to somebody leak you could you could leak that something too. to somebody. Ab- absolutely, yeah. Be like, hey, Probably this is why I did, did this, and then you know, reporters be like, a source close to the situation, you know, blah blah blah. Like you, you, there's a like, there's a tons of local guys. There's uh, you know, national people. Uh, I mean, you didn't even you, you, you could have done this a million ways, and I would probably say this is the they most. leaked it to national people when uh, when at the start of the pandemic when Chris came out and said he wasn't going to lay off or furlough any team employees, they leaked that to national reporters. It was a big headline on the Athletic. Mm-hmm. Uh, six months later, they went ahead and furloughed and laid off team employees. Yeah, yeah, and. Probably the worst part about it is it creates a seed of doubt with your with your fans, which in the case of a sports franchise, more or less your shareholders, basically. Um, 
because you don't want the guy who owns your favorite team to be pinching pennies. That's like one of the worst feelings you could have as a as a sports fan is that like, you know, this guy is not going to do everything it takes to build a winner. Every resource available. And whether it's just been a part of the plan up, up until now, specifically with, with, with Chris in charge, or whether he is actually cheap, like we don't, I'm not going to say, but I'm going to tell you that Optics, 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 where this podcast, it's leaning in one direction. And everybody can kind of guess which direction it is. So it was kind of disheartening. It was disheartening to see him connected to that. And here's here, here's here's another thing. Like it got kind of grouped together. Like Diamondbacks, Reds, Angels. And it's like okay, well the Angels are just outside of L.A. But other than that, it was the small market owners. We we got to push back on the notion that Detroit is a small market because it's not. Um, it's fourteenth largest metro area in the U.S. I believe. Um, great baseball TV market. In the final years under Mike Illich, the Tigers spent like a big market team. I don't think it's a big market. It's not New York. It's not LA. Uh, it's not even probably Houston or Dallas. Tigers probably aren't going to be a team that approaches the luxury tax, whatever that threshold is, um, in the near future. But it ain't a small market either. Like this is a mid to, you know, a little bit above average size market. And I think the Tigers recently have operated a little bit like a smaller market team. Granted, the rebuild was part of that. Credit where credit's due. We've said this before. Look, Chris also poured a lot of money into the infrastructure of the franchise, player development, the minors. It's worth noting. I no idea how much all that costs. I'm sure it wasn't cheap. Um, but again, every time when, when you want to give ownership the benefit of the doubt, these other things keep piling up, and it just it just makes it tough to do. And it should also be noted that the Tigers have a fan base with a history of heavily supporting uh, a competitive team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they see all the time a lot of Tigers Twitter uh, fan accounts post like old clips of games at Comerica, and it's packed, and it's like a July game, and it's like from a year where they, you know, it's not like one of the World Series years or whatever, and it's packed. It's a, it's a huge party. You have a very fertile fan base that will spend their money to see your product. And all they ask in return is that you're willing to to spend your money to make that product as good as possible. And you're right. It is worth noting all the things that aren't tangible from the outside outside looking in. But you just don't want to see the Tigers linked with the second team in a market a team that's only been in existence uh, since, what, 90, 98, and, and the Reds, which are sort of, like, essentially the epitome of, like, the Midwest being forgotten. It's Cincinnati. You know what I mean? I, I have nothing against Cincinnati, but that's just, I'm just saying about the perspective, just the perspective. Um, it, arguably, some people probably say the second most noteworthy city in the state. So, like... You don't want to be grouped in with those. That's all I'm saying. Um, we don't have to spend any more time on that. I'm depressed now. I want to talk about something fun. I want you, Cody. Let's get back in a good mood. Let's I, get I back want, in a good mood. I want you to relish in what you got to do this week, which was you got to see professional baseball, albeit literally at a minor level. But professional baseball, nonetheless, you got to be around a spring training type environment and you got to lay your eyes on some guys that could be the future of the tigers franchise so i'll just kind of give you the floor here to begin with you spent four or five days in lakeland watching these guys a couple scrimmages you know seeing drills live bp stuff like that you came away you you landed in detroit and you said wow i can't stop thinking about what I wish that all the Chris Illich stuff would not have happened like when I was at the airport getting ready to go home. <laughs> this is this is a tough transition. Deep breath. Um, it was so great being in Lakeland, man. Just being soaking up some good weather, seeing some baseball. Um, even though it wasn't the real thing, it was very nice, very entertaining. Got to see 
a lot of ball players I had not seen in person before. Um, I think if we're just going to start at, at the top, number one takeaway, pound the table, Christian M.F. Santana, 18-year-old Dominican shortstop. He'd been garnering some buzz even before I was in Lakeland, and it's interesting watching this group of like 62 prospects or whatever, because you're thinking, oh, wow, like that's, that's a lot of guys to keep an eye on. Like, how do you even... But sometimes you just kind of know, like, baseball players are notoriously hard to evaluate. Yet sometimes you just kind of, like, Riley Green just stands out from the pack, man. And you're sitting here watching BP, and you just see Christian Santana whipping the bat through the zone. And it's just like, oh, like, oh, like, this dude has some, some advanced bat speed. Later that day, he just destroys a high fastball. From number three overall pick, Jackson Job crushes it over the fence. In the intra-squad games, works a couple walks, pretty good ABs, uh, very good footwork. He did make an error, but like the, the makings of an above-average infielder are absolutely there. I think he is going to be a legit prospect. I think by far impressed me the most out of kind of this international uh, crop. You know, some of these names we've been talking about, Jose De La Cruz, Roberto Campos, those guys have big swings, but a lot to work on. Manuel Sakura sounds like we're going with Sakura as the Sakura. official okay. pronunciation. Um, yeah, and if I if I said Campos, it's Campos with like a long A. So Campos Sakura Sakura is pretty good. He was uh had a minor injury, didn't play in the scrimmages. Santana just seemed like a level above. I don't know. Uh, it's kind of against my nature to hype someone up after like a very small sample of seeing him, but I'm going to predict that Christian Santana is a top 100 prospect this time next year. Uh, he's been he's been compared to like Johnny Peralta, Placido Polanco. I don't know what the guy's ceiling is going to be, but if you're, you know, I'm not saying he's going to be like A-Rod or something, but if you're Johnny Peralta, that's, that's a pretty good major league ball player, you know? And uh, I, th I think the guy's going to play in the big leagues. I think he's your best international prospect and the one guy that uh, that really stood out from the pack down in Lakeland. So we can we don't have to go into like list stuff. Is he going to be a top one hundred prospect? But he's that dude. Can we say that he's that dude? So Santana. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Maybe maybe that's premature. But I don't. Man, I was excited about him. Loved watching him. Well, uh, we saw this on Twitter. Um, if you follow Cody at Cody Stavenhagen, uh, he's wearing Oklahoma State shoes. Uh, Santana <laughs> might be my favorite Tiger. I might have to buy a jersey already. Uh, I mean, I don't know what I don't know what else I'm supposed to do with that information other than for him to become my favorite player. You know, like it's a, supposedly there's not much you know of a a huge reason. But uh, I think that's fate. And I think, as I said on Twitter, it's an example of our influence as uh, members of the Detroit Tigers podcast and social media sphere is that we somehow made that happen. That's what I'm going with, and I'm sticking with it. One of the many, like, surreal ties I've had in my time covering the Tigers from all these Oklahoma connections, Ron Gardenhire, Michael Fulmer, um, AJ Hinge. Like I've covered a football game at AJ Hinge's old high school where he used to be the quarterback, Jackson Job, um, Jake Rogers, who I played against in high school. Like it's sometimes it's a little eerie. And one of those moments we're sitting here, I'm talking to Christian Santana for the first time. And I look down I'm like, Oh, those, those are some nice shoes. They've got the Oklahoma state logo on them. <laughs> I was like, man, that's where I went to college. And I asked him through an interpreter, uh, you know, where, like, where'd you get those shoes? Like the Oklahoma State shoes. That's where I went to college. <laughs> and I think that was kind of a hard question to interpret. And everyone else, all the other reporters were like, like, what's this dude talking about? Uh, but I, I was kind of like, am I dreaming? Like, why is this dude wearing Oklahoma State shoes? And uh, he just said he likes them. You know, he knew they represented a college, but the orange, I guess it kind of reminded him of Tiger's colors. I don't know where he got the shoes. I think that's uh, that's still kind of a mystery, but um, kind of surreal and yeah, makes me love him. We talked about we talked about fashion uh, last week. Fashion award number one: Christian Santana, Oklahoma State shoes, and a four thousand dollar <laughs> chain that is impossible to miss. And he rocks it with pride. 
couple other fashion awards. Al Avila. All right, I didn't see him wearing like the Cuban shirts. You know, he normally is rocking those. He, for a couple days, had a very slick, like, black Tigers pullover. And I don't always love, like, black when, like, the team's colors aren't actually black, but something about this. He's the only one I saw wearing it. He was rocking it. And then uh, I saw Spencer Torkelson come out of the locker room with, like, a like a 90s, like, Team USA Olympic hat and some other 90s-style shirt. So he was clearly embracing the 90s trends. I thought he was probably, the, that was the best outfit of any of the players I saw. But those are my fashion ones. Okay. All right. Well, people come here for all sorts of reasons, Cody. And... <laughs> If you're gonna be boots on the ground in uh, in Lakeland, you might as well get the get get the behind the scenes fashion uh, updates on on the guys. Uh, you mentioned Jackson Job there, the uh, the either unknown or good prospect, depending on whether you think he, uh, he's a top 100 guy. We uh, I feel like he gets more Twitter videos for allowing a home run than any other. Uh, any other pitcher in the system, but that's the price you pay when you're number three overall and you sign that contract. Uh, it's your first time you're laying your eyes on Jackson Joe. What did what do you think? Uh, this is going to be a running gag. Just to make clear, we don't mean any offense to Jackson Joe, but for the remainder of his career, we are either going to take him in or out of Keith Law's top 100 yes. based on everything he does. Uh, Twitter is going to overreact the first time he has a good game in the minors, the first time he has a bad game in the minors, and so we're just going to have fun with it. Right now, Jackson Job taking him back out of Keith Law's top 100. Um, watching him, it was interesting. You saw the makings of a very good pitcher, um, but he was kind of hailed as unusually polished for an 18-year-old. That's the reason the Tigers took him. Um, I saw, you know, how much can you really take away from, like, one live-throwing session and 17 pitches in an inner squad? Not that much. Can't base everything off of it. But I saw like an 18-year-old pitcher who has a lot of talent but probably still needs some refining. I thought it was curious. He's kind of been billed as like, oh, like the fastball is good, but it's actually his his worst pitch. Um, everyone's hyping up the slider. You wanted to see the slider. I don't think I saw Jackson Job land the slider for, for one strike. It doesn't mean the pitch isn't actually good, but he clearly didn't have the feel for it. And maybe understandably so. He hasn't thrown in real game action and what, eight months, more? Um, he was throwing a lot of sliders in the dirt, a lot of change-ups in the dirt. The fastball and live BP definitely had some sizzle. You could tell it just, it's a, he was a Ron Gardenhire-ism, like kind of just came out of the hand a little differently than most of the other prospects. Missed some bats with it in the um, in the intra-squad game. He got down 2-0 to his first two hitters and I think he got up 0-1, but then fell down like 2-1 or something like that to the third hitter. He wasn't spotting his fastball in the um, in the intra-squad game. So, I don't know. Like, again, too small of a sample to really make a judgment, but it wasn't like I was watching him and was like, oh, like, no, this is the truth. This dude does not look 18. He looked very much 18. He's going to have a lot of life on his stuff, but... Um, my initial impression is, like, I don't think he's going to just soar through the system. Like, probably take his time, which is, is, is probably smart and reasonable. And I don't know. Maybe once he gets more in this in the sink of things and gets that feel for the slider, um, maybe he starts cranking it up a notch. But um, for now, he looked like a kid adjusting to pro ball. Um, again, something we're just going to have to always keep in the account. It's like, you know, he's still learning how to be a full-time pitcher. Yeah, and and that's not something that uh, that he's really had to do all that much uh, prior to this, and I would probably argue way quicker than anyone really anticipated. Uh, he, you know, he probably was going to go to college, and then you know, you know, he shot up so quickly, and the Tigers fell in love with him. Um, I wanted to get to you, you mentioned how Riley Green just looks different. I imagine Spencer Torkelson. Um, falls into that category as well. Someone said he looks small on Twitter. Uh, you said he there's a lot of things, but he's not small. Uh, Oddly enough, here's the thing with Torkelson. Sometimes I I wonder. Like I think it's real that some guys just like aren't good practice players. I wonder if that applies to Torkelson a little bit because sometimes if you didn't know he was the number one overall pick and the most hailed 
hitters and like Mark Teixeira or whatever. I don't know if you'd like, he doesn't stand out the way Riley Green does always. I think in like just BP, if you're looking at sheer power, he can, but uh, I didn't really see him barrel a ball up and like these live BPs. He did get a hold of one, flew out to the track and inner squad, but um, watching Torque, I again was like, man, I think Riley Green's just, Riley Green just rarely, if ever, has a bad at bat. Even if he doesn't get a hit, even if he strikes out. You see him working the count. You can see him just getting... He has a knack of just throwing the barrel at the ball, whatever part of the strike zone it is in. Torque is still prone to, I think, just some bad at-bats, whether overly passive or maybe just kind of rolling over and hitting a grounder. And it doesn't mean he's not a good hitter. Um, but I was kind of thinking, like, I'd see why maybe he could use a month or so in AAA, which then leads to the question, like, Maybe that's ideal for his overall development, but if you're trying to win the most games and make the playoffs, do you have anyone at the on the MLB roster who's actually better than him? I don't think you do. Um, anyway, Torque has leaned up a little bit. I think he's he lost like 10 pounds or something, but turned it into good weight. Uh, not a small guy, huge, you know, huge like quads. I mean, you can tell that the guy can mash the ball, and I've seen him do it in live uh, minor league games. So I'm not really trying to knock Torque at all. Um, it's just kind of interesting. Maybe it's a compliment to Riley Green more than anything. <laughs> Riley Green's just so good, man. Like this kid's, I'm putting this kid on the major league roster and I just, I, he's just, he's just good and he looks better than Torkelson and he continues to look that way. You know, so, so you brought up, you know, the big league roster there a couple times and I'm, as I'm sort of looking at the these guys, and I'm going to talk specifically here about Green and Torque. As I look at these guys' professional careers, so Green, just a quick recap, high school, drafted, low minor leagues, exhausted at the end, understandably so. Um, keep in mind, obviously, a Florida kid who probably plays 11 months out of the year, you know? So just imagine the wear on, on that body. Yeah. And Torque drafted during a pandemic and doesn't play minor league baseball, just trains. And then still having COVID cloud hanging over his first professional season. His And before that happened, his college year uh, cut short. I kind of want just some... I want something uninterrupted for those guys. I think it'd be so great if those mm -hmm. guys could go through some process that was without interruption because that is yet to happen for them. <laughs> um, basically at all. Uh, last year was close, but it's still, you know, a year gap for green between being an everyday big, or not big leaguer, but everyday ball player. Um, and then, like I said, just with torque. So, I'm kind of thinking I'm just going to put him in AAA to like we're just going to go forward with the plan. It's just my idea. We're just going to go forward with the plan of let's just put him in the starting lineup in AAA, give him at bats, give him, you know, some game action. They're still young enough to where all that stuff really matters instead of, you know, twiddling their thumbs, taking live BP, you know, fielding ground balls. I just feel like We've reached the point now where holding out hope as a strategy probably isn't the wisest thing when you're trying to develop franchise cornerstones. And to me, I would just kind of horse blinders on Toledo and just let that just, and, and then whenever there's a change and, you know, have them go late to whatever resemblance of spring training happens or whatever. And maybe we can have this discussion, but I wouldn't be holding out hope for like Riley Green to earn a starting position on the 2022 opening day Detroit Tigers in the traditional sense. And nor would I say like Torque earn a roster spot in the traditional sense where they they're up against a big league. I I almost just say like skip that part and just give them Triple A at bats and you just call them up whenever you want. That's kind of what I'm thinking because I'm just looking for something that they can 
hang on to and understand where they're going to be at a certain point. All these like logistical things, they're young men, like where, you know, where are they going to live? Like what, you know, what kind of arrangements need to be made? I would just kind of make it simple and be like, you're going to Toledo. Was it April 5th? Is that, or? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think the 5th. You're going to Toledo. And we're not going to change that at all. You're going to start the season in Toledo. And I hope that doesn't come across, and we don't really know if it will be a thing as, like, a you know, service time thing. I, I, like, it's legitimately just, we just need you to be on a track somewhere instead of just sitting and waiting for all these outside factors that are so complicated that we have just seen have given us no reason to have faith in that process as of right now. I would take that element out, and I would just say, boom, you're going to Toledo. That's that's the only focus right now. Don't have, don't stay awake at night trying to think like, oh man, you know, I can't wait to like, you know, make the big league roster. It sucks. I wish this is not a thing, but I just think it's it might be the smarter option, and you can just kind of call them up whenever. Yeah, here's the thing: it might not matter, like. In some ways, there are a ton of logistics and tough decisions the Tigers have to make. In some ways, this lockout, depending on how long it goes, might just kind of get them off the hook of, like, do we bring Torque and Green with us, you know, to March 31st in Seattle or whatever, because that no longer is a thing. Like, date does not exist. That game will not happen. Um, I think it's, it's tough, but I think ultimately you do kind of do that. You act like stardom in Toledo, it'll always be probably easier to adjust otherwise than to keep them you know toiling around and basically what would turn into an extended spring training and then option them to Toledo or something I don't think that does them any good I kind of tried to ask someone about that and the answer I got was overall yeah it's probably better for them to be in Toledo but this could happen or this could happen and really we haven't even quite planned that far ahead yet because Look, I mean, no one knows what's going to happen. I'm sure in the days since, the Tigers have already begun talking about that a little bit deeper. Um, I think Torkelson, you know, in his interview, is, is kind of funny. We were kind of told by by someone, like, all right, don't don't ask, like, CBA questions. And then kind of had to ask, like, very vague, like, questions that are clearly, you know, kind of about the CBA. And one thing he said was just, like, I'm focused on, like, April 4th, even though I think opening day is actually the 5th. And... If we wanted to be like gotcha journalists, could have been like, aha, gotcha, so you don't care about the major leagues. Which clearly not what he meant, and I hope that's not how it read. You're not pro-labor. <laughs> yeah, and then it was like, it was like, oh, so you so you plan on starting in Toledo? You know, and he kind of laughed. He's like, well, well, I don't know, but I think I think that's probably the mindset these guys are taking, is like, just prepare to start in Toledo until something changes. But I don't necessarily think it's easy, because what if we get word late in... March that things are about to start up and then it's like I think if you really want to carry these guys on the roster it's going to be easier to make a decision if you have them in big league camp with the rest of the team but does big league camp do them any good when they could be playing in actual triple-a games but does it make sense to bring them into big league camp and then what if one of them just does horrible and it's like okay sorry we wasted two weeks of your life now you're going back to Toledo like I I think it could be difficult, and it it just depends on how things time out. Um, We're going to sit here and freak out about it. At the end of the day, these dudes are both going to be in the big leagues, like the vast majority of the summer, so it'll it'll probably all work itself out. Yeah. um, Part of the romanticism of baseball is, you know, you want to be watching, listening on the radio, be at the ballpark or whatever for like, you know, opening day or like the prize prospects like first game and and you'd like to be able you'd like that process to be kind of smooth uh we're we're just throwing smooth out the window right now there's nothing there's nothing <laughs> there's, nothing's gonna be smooth man nothing's gonna be smooth there's gonna be interruptions it's gonna be a challenge for it and it's 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 one of those things where i hate the phrase but it is what it is man like it, you, you like you, you gotta kind of roll with the punches there and it's quite unfortunate that all this stuff happens uh as intrigued intrigue is a a pretty high clip higher than uh last several years for uh for the tigers so um 
For this week's College Chronicles, I want to give an update. My fiance did uh, make it back from New Orleans okay. Um, the trip got off to a rough start. It started with uh, about an hour after they left. She had a couple girlfriends in the car, and they drove down to New Orleans. About an hour after they left, uh, one of them called me and said, uh, Hey, I forgot my wallet at my house. Uh, <laughs> can you... Uh, you know, go to my house and, and, and get it and, you know, overnight it to me or whatever. So I was like, yeah, okay, sure. So I do that. Um, FedEx doesn't do, deliver on Sunday. I didn't know that. I just figured they're, you know, capitalistic corporation. They would do it, but they don't. So overnight ended up being technically like one day or two day or whatever. Got it noon on Monday is when the wallet arrived. Uh, Sunday night, uh, I get, I wake up at about, Three in the morning, because sometimes I just, I don't know, I'm not the best sleeper. Sometimes I just kind of wake up then, inevitably get on Twitter. Not usually that much interesting stuff, but wake up, and I've got, like, 20 missed calls, like a million texts, because uh, my fiance had lost, had it had her phone stolen, something. On Bourbon Street, they just get the Bourbon Street, and she's phoneless. Um, so I, not really sure what I could have done in that, like, you know, all the way over here. Uh, but I was being contacted heavily in order to help in, in, in some accord. So that, that was fun to wake up to on Monday morning, but they did make it back. Seems like they had a good time. So it got me thinking about our little trip to New Orleans, Cody. Um, uh, Cody and I went down, drove from Stillwater to, New Orleans for the uh, Sugar Bowl matchup between Oklahoma State and Ole Miss. Um, if you remember, that Ole Miss team was so good that they got sanctioned by the NCAA. Larry Tunsil at left tackle, Laquan <laughs> Treadwell at, uh, at receiver. They had uh, Evan Ingram at tight end, uh, Chad Kelly. Chad Kelly was the quarterback. Uh, really good team. Uh, and they, 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 they took Oklahoma State to the woodshed in that game. But, you know, it was a... It's a fun experience. Got to be on the, uh, you know, got to be at the soup, what was then called the Superdome, and uh, and got to partake in New Orleans shenanigans. And uh, one of the things that I take a lot of pride in on that trip, Cody, is uh, I'm a big believer in, in paying it forward to your fellow man. You know, uh, you know, taking care of the people that you can take care of, and. We figured out on Bourbon Street, like, a system. Because, you know, you think it's so wild and, you know, lawless or whatever. But, you know, they still they still got bouncers. They still got scary bouncers. They still check IDs and, you know, all that stuff. We had a lot of colleagues or former colleagues of ours that were under 21 on, with us on Bourbon Street. And we figured out a way to get them to, A, so it helped us and it helped them. Because, obviously, we would buy them drinks. But that's also annoying. We're trying to, t- you know, we're trying to do our own thing too. You know, we don't want to be doing that every time. And so we figured out a way that to help them get alcohol, but also we didn't have to do everything. So what we did, this was particularly effective at Pat O's on Bourbon Street. What we did was we got one of those hurricanes, finished it, and then we noticed that when we went in the side entrance with the cup, we were not carded. So we did that two, t- two or three times, and uh, I'm like, hmm. So one of uh, one of our uh, colleagues who, I won't add him on this because I don't know if he would care or not, but he is a, <laughs> he is a beat writer for a Major League Baseball team for a major newspaper. Uh, <laughs> talented guy in his own right. Um, I gave him the cup, and I said, here, dude, just take this. And just walk in that door. They're not going to question you. Just do it. And he's looking at me in like disbelief. He doesn't want to get like you know, arrested or like thrown out by a bouncer. You know, whatever. I was like, trust. He me. was kind of like me at the Young Nation concert we talked about <laughs> last week. Like really, like really, you know, Kieran's trying to get him to do this, you know, rule breaking thing, and he's just very unsure about it. <laughs> that was my basically my task uh, when we worked at the O'Call. It was just getting he people to to break rules and. Uh, and so eventually he did it and, and so he was able to go get his own, uh, his own hurricanes at Pat O's. Um, it, 
Bourbon Street was as wild as they say, and that was also coinciding with you know New Year's Eve, and so it it, it was a uh, it was a wild time. We left Stillwater at what do you think three thirty in the morning, uh, four a.m. Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah. And you drove the entire way to uh, to to New Orleans, right. and uh, I remember your 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 giddiness as we uh, were passing over like the last bridge or whatever. And uh, they're like, all right, we're in range for the New Orleans rap station. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. (laughs) And that did not disappoint either. Um, So we saw Usher live in concert at uh, at the where was that at? Was that the uh, Uh, Jackson Square? Jackson Square. Jackson Square. Um, I slept in a closet because we were just like crashing (laughs) people's uh, hotel rooms. I, I slept in a... Oh, soaking wet, too. So, we just got oh drenched in the walking home rain. <laughs> hmm. Having to uh, land some more wisdom on these young, impressionable uh, kids uh, the whole way through. Um, and uh, and then we left at... Uh, we left early in the morning, too, and I drove basically the whole way back. I had to get on the computer and do some work, but basically drove the whole way back. Um, and... The funny thing is, so connected to my fiance. The funny thing is, so when you're a media person, you're allowed on the field before these games up until a certain point, like 15 minutes, uh, 15 minutes until kickoff or whatever. So Cody and I go down onto the field and we're just standing there, and we, you know we technically passed the threshold, but we were like, we're just gonna wait until someone kicks us out. Which they did eventually do, but we stood on the field there, uh, pregame warmups and all that stuff for a good bit. It was a, it was an awesome experience to think about, like you know, the amount of big NFL games, Super Bowls, College Bowl games, uh, Final Fours, you know, like you know, very historic place, obviously. And so fast forward, like a, and we'll come back to New Orleans, but fast forward a couple months, I'm finally looking like you know me and uh and alexis are gonna start dating and she she tells me that she went to the sugar bowl she was at the game and i was like oh cool where your where your seats so she sent me she texted me a picture of like where the you know like their few the the view of the field from where they were sitting taken before the game guess whose asses are in that photograph cody and i she was sitting (laughs) uh not too far away from where we were and took a photograph that just happened to be we were in the photo i'll see if she still has it maybe i'll tweet it out but just one of those you know crazy things where everything kind of comes together you know and then we get together a couple weeks later and you know we're getting married here in in a couple weeks now so uh a wholesome ending to what was not a very wholesome experience uh being in new orleans so (laughs) when you look back at all that cody what, what what kind of comes to mind uh, it's hard to string together coherent New Orleans stories. I'd actually been once before that trip and two or three times after. Uh, covered two Sugar Bowls. I think... Okay, first of all, first of all, I got to give a shout out to Todd from Sterling Heights. I believe it's Sterling Heights. Todd comes up to me at Joker Merchant Stadium and he's like, Hey, are you Cody? And I was like, yeah, that's me. He's like, hey, man, I just want to tell you I love College Chronicles. Like, hey. I turn that on every Monday morning, and I just start cracking up. <laughs> and I was like, yes, this is what I live for. Like, that was the best compliment I could possibly receive. <laughs> Sometimes, like, does any, do people just turn this off when we start talking about all the dumb stuff we've done? At least some people hey. eat it up. Todd's one of those guys. Shout out Todd, I didn't tell you this, Karen. Todd, Todd did have another comment. Todd said, Cobb Chronicles, swing and a miss. <laughs> cop connection uh fittingly there has not been a cop connection this week um maybe the end of the cop connection that's fair i'm running out of guys i I think yeah one of my best new orleans stories probably actually the first trip and we've talked about our friend tim tim if you listened to last week's episode was the guy who got rejected by kieran's now soon to be (laughs) wife and vomited in the sink at a party (laughs) Uh, very, very funny, somewhat ironic, because really kind of the first time I hung out with Tim in like a social setting was in New Orleans. I don't know, maybe I've told this story before. I tell this story all the time if someone is trying to get like the essence of Tim. 
because Tim's just very, like, has a lot of confidence in himself, kind of stubborn, also just does and says a lot of ridiculous stuff. And so we're sitting here on Bourbon Street, you know, like, hand grenades in hand, like, talking. Uh, we were both 20 at the time. Neither one of us, I don't, I don't think we're really big, uh, you know, experienced in the world of, of consuming alcohol. But I feel like I at least had a respect for, like, I don't know, like, basic science and like how the human body works Cody's very pro-science this is the first example of me knowing he's pro-science it's just like Tim's just like yeah I I don't get drunk <laughs> like what like you like you mean like you just don't like drink he's like no like I, it doesn't matter how much I drink I don't I don't get drunk and we're like I'm just like Tim like you, like you like if you consume enough alcohol you will get drunk <laughs> and he's just steadfast no I, I don't Clearly, I think the lesson here was that Tim had only had, like, probably two Shiner Box at a time before and, like, maybe didn't feel the effects of it and literally believed, believed, people, I'm not kidding, believed he was immune to the effects of alcohol. <laughs> Tim was just so, I don't know, tough, so manly that he could not get drunk. So there was a group of, like, I don't know, several of us, I think four guys we shared Murphy a hotel was room. there. Murphy was there. Guess who... Of this four, throws up in the toilet that night. <laughs> Tim. Tim throwing up, also a, re- a recurring story. <laughs> yes. uh, another story that came to mind, you know something else, also kind of related to Alexis, that happened when we were down on the field at the Sugar Bowl. Ran into a classmate of ours, um, Curtis, mm-hmm. who told just simply told us, Bourbon Street Watch. <laughs> I think he had lost his phone and his, his wallet, wallet. <laughs> maybe his keys, like lost everything he had. He was a TV guy. He actually works in a TV station in Texas now. Uh, done, yeah. Doing pretty well for himself. And he he just yeah. looks at us and he goes, he's got this like TV face, you know, like such great delivery. Just like <sighs> Bourbon Street one. And that's like, <laughs> that was good. And uh, we'll wrap up with, uh, so when we're driving back, we're on the last stretch of, like, State Highway before we get to Stillwater. We're, like, 20 minutes away. It's been a long weekend, barely any sleep, dehydrated. Like, uh, you know, I'm just powering through. It's dark. There's not really – there's no lights, you know, anywhere. We're kind of trailing this car, and I this car, like, moves at the last second, and I, I can't see on the road why it kind of swerved a little bit. And then I see this deer on the ground, and I, we're driving uh, Cody's Impala, and uh, so I see this deer just laying on the ground, and I just jerk it left, and then jerk it right, like right away. And I'm pretty sure one side of the car, like we we had air underneath the tires. <laughs> like I thought we had flipped. Like yeah. I was in the back seat, just like accepting that we had flipped and I was kind of bracing myself and I was like, let's see if I'm still alive in five seconds. We somehow we didn't, flip, we didn't but it was, we didn't, it was intense. We, we didn't flip. Uh, you were, when you're saying you're bracing yourself, you're like sort of like in the middle there, uh, in the middle seat of the back seat, and none of us, none of us are saying anything and you just go, shit. <laughs> 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 and, and we just like bust out laughing and uh we made it back safe or whatever uh got back to stillwater at midnight and went and had a drink at murphy's and then we went home <laughs> we kind of looked we're just exhausted dead tired and uh there's this this girl that had drove with us and we drop her off at her place and i think we we're just kind of sitting there it's kind of quiet and we were both thinking the same thing i don't think either of us was like should I really say this? <laughs> you know, like three days of just Bourbon Street, whatever. And finally, I think I think it was you. You were like, "Want to go to Murphy's?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, that's exactly what I want to do." So a nightcap on on the nightcaps of nightcap weekend. I mean, that was uh, that was a lot. Only of- made it through like one drink. Like it was just in pain. Like what? Like I think we just got a picture of Miller or Coors original. Oh, we did. We did a Coors did original, a and uh, I was like, "All right, that's how that's how you end uh, end an epic road trip." <laughs> <laughs> but all right, uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Shout out Todd. Um, even though 
you know, I, I appreciate I appreciate the uh, the compliment and the and feedback. the constructive, constructive criticism. I, I appreciate that. I, I really do. Um, so it, it when Cody texted me, it's like you know this guy came up to me saying like he enjoys College Chronicles. I was like, that's the best. That's the best news all day. I was in a, a good mood, good mood the rest of the day. But I uh, hope hope you guys enjoyed that. There's a couple more New Orleans stories that if uh, if we feel so inclined, we might have to share. It's a little more risque. Uh, nothing major. <laughs> Although I will say we Fair did more. go into a really shady bar off Bourbon Street, and that was probably not the wisest decision. It was like a little dungeon bar. Um, oh, yeah, don't go in that bar. Yeah, that, ugh, yeah, stay weird. stay in the main lane, as they say, is a little advice for uh, for first-time Bourbon Street people, or just general casual Bourbon Street people. Just don't don't veer off too much. Um, yeah. But uh, you can follow Cody. Actually, go to go to Frenchman Street, too, if you're in New Orleans. Big Frenchman Street proponent now that I've... Now that I've been. Yeah, but Frenchman's anyway. good, yeah. I was just saying, don't go don't go off the beaten path. There's, there's not, Definitely don't do that. Um, so you, you can follow Cody on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen. I am at Kieran underscore Steckley. Our pod page is at Turn Corner Pod. Be sure to follow that. We're going to have a little uh, little promotional thing here coming up. Not a whole, not nothing major, but definitely something I think uh, you guys will appreciate. And uh, be sure to subscribe to The Athletic so you can read the mountains of content that Cody put out this past week and will continue to put out and also the national guys are the ones that broke that illich uh and three other owners story you know so it's uh well worth your time well worth your investment and uh trust me you're gonna want to read the stuff that cody has coming up maybe a story about how San- christian santana got the shoes i don't know maybe there's a story there maybe there isn't i'd love to know i'd love to know so thank you everybody for listening um for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have a great week.